strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. Obviously, uh, the border is still a big issue in Arizona. I think it's becoming bigger across the country. It has now become a national conversation after what happened in Martha's Vineyard. Whether you love it or you hate it, at least we're talking about it. At least that's the way I see it. We are talking about the issue at the border. Um, I, like many other people, will tell you that I... I understand the plight of people that want to come to America. I understand the plight of people across the world. I honestly do. Not just people from Mexico or Central America. I'm talking about people across the world that want to come to our shores. I am a huge immigration advocate. But what we are seeing at the southern border of the United States is a complete disaster, and it's about to get worse. This is an AZ Central story. U.S. Border Patrol is unprepared to meet the increase in processing and placement burdens that is expected after Title 42 is rescinded and has no viable plans, according to a new report from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Office of the Inspector General. That's just the first paragraph of that story. So two million encounters in one fiscal year, breaking a record. The record has already been broken for the fiscal year of number of terrorists or people on the terror watch list that have been captured coming into the country. Three times the number of the three of the five previous years combined. So you take the five previous years combined number of people coming across on the terrorist watch list. And three times that number, still higher than that in one year here. And Title 42 is about to go away. Here is just a couple of points. Venezuelans expected to flood the U.S. border due to a perception that they can stay indefinitely, according to a Department of Homeland Security report. This is the issue. It is a perception. There is a level of reality to it. What I mean is people are coming in They're According to the White House, we are trying to figure out a faster way to process people and to do this and to do that. And I don't want people treated poorly. I don't want to see people treated uh, in, a, in a bad way. I, I'm not that kind of person. Not, no one should be tortured. We should be treating people humanely. But we have got to stop. We have to stop incentivizing. And that's exactly what we've done. People are coming because they believe that they can stay. And many of them are. So this was an interesting poll. Majority of Americans believe that illegal immigrants should be sent to sanctuary cities, according to a Rasmussen poll. And it's it's a Rasmussen RMG research poll. Um, Among registered voters, 51 percent supported sending uh, migrants to sanctuary cities. Twenty nine did not. And twenty one were unsure. The poll found another 48 percent strongly or somewhat approve of border state governors sending some illegal immigrants to places like New York, Chicago, Martha's Vineyard, specifically beating out 38 percent who disapprove or strongly disapprove. Um, So. It isn't about I'm, – I'm not defending my political ideology here. I'm defending Americans. We are good people. I think at heart we are good people. America understands. I think Americans inherently understand that we have a responsibility in the world being the world's biggest economy, which we are. We have been, at least in previous years, and it may be – they may have caught up now in other places, a superpower or the superpower in the world. Um And the responsibility of being as wealthy as we are as a nation compared to other countries 
And Reagan said it best about freedom. You know, if freedom dies here, uh, there's no, nowhere else to go. We are the last best hope. He called us the last best hope. We are the shining city on the hill. And I still believe that to be true. We have a lot of infighting in our country where we talk about how we need to improve race relations and we have to talk about people that are marginalized. And I, don't, I think those are valuable conversations. But I'm never going to waver from the fact that we lead the world. You and I talk – about or when I say we may specifically ourselves, but as people, we have conversations about the treatment of women, about, um, you know, I'll give you a comparison. <clears throat> there was a basketball coach for uh, the Boston Celtics who has been suspended for a year for having a, an inappropriate relationship with a staff member. He didn't get fired, but he got suspended for a year. In Iran, a woman was just killed. She was just killed by the morality police because she showed too much hair or too much of her face and wasn't covered. She was beaten to death. There is such a stark contrast. It doesn't make us perfect. We've always got room to improve. So I understand why the world wants to come here, and I understand why some people look to America for answers to some of their problems. I'm not saying we should solve all the world's problems. That's not my point. But I understand, at least I do intellectually, I understand what America means to the rest of the world. And when you see our borders overrun like they are, I just wish people could see what it looks like. I wish you could see the faces of people. They're being used. They're being used by the cartels. So when I get a little bit indignant with people because we have um, uh, gone after Republican governors like Ducey and Abbott and and, uh, DeSantis – And we've gone after them for their actions. And you hear uh, mayors say they are using people as political pawns. And and I just laugh and I think, where is your indignation at what the – are you being used for by the cartels? That's where the real injustice is happening. The idea – and every one of us should have this image in their mind. There are two images you should keep in your mind. One is the, the sex slavery that young girls are forced into. They are they are facing death if they try to escape, and then they're told, even if you escape, good for you, you may get away from us for a while. But we will kill your family. We will kill everyone you know in your hometown. We will murder everybody. They are slaves. And the other is the story about the morning after pill, that every woman that crosses the border brought by the cartels, virtually every woman – is told she should expect to be sexually assaulted at least once on the journey, and they carry the morning after pill in case that happens. I want you to think about that. The desperation of those people on one side would say that that's how desperate they are to get here, so we should be doing more to keep them here. But let's talk about the indignation by the mayors of Chicago, Washington, D.C., and New York. And some of the people on Martha's Vineyard, the indignation about the abuse by Republican governors. And where is their indignation by, uh, about what this president and his policies are doing in allowing the cartels to mistreat people? There is a perception internationally that if you come here, A, it's going to be easy to get in, and B, you're going to be allowed to stay. And until we reassure people that that isn't true, by turning people away – 
and telling them they have to apply for visas or they have to apply for asylum in another place. You got to do it on the other side of the border. And until it's approved, you're going to have to wait on the other side of the border. And people say it's inhumane treatment. Well, I will tell you, it is no more inhumane than what's happening at the border right now. The cartels, I, I didn't even talk about the drugs. We haven't even had a conversation about the drugs that are being brought across that border. And that, to me, is another piece of this puzzle that we all should be looking at. And it's killing people in this country. And until we stop it, shame on us. Shame on us. In a moment, those of you that remember the contract with America... Uh, Well, there is a new one. It's called the Commitment to America. I'm going to talk about what they are and if they're similar and will they have the same results coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. For anybody that's not old enough to remember, shame on you. You should be ashamed of yourself to making fun of us old people. But there was something in 1994. It was written by Newt Gingrich, and it was what got him the speaker's job. First time in 40 years that the House had been controlled by Republicans, and they won that, many say, with the help of something called the Contract with America. Uh, I've done a, I did an event with Newt Gingrich. He has a wealth of information. Whether you like his politics or not, I happen to like him. Um, he is a wealth of information, and that's one thing to know things. It's a different to know why they happened, and Gingrich is one of those guys. So it was a pleasure getting to talk to him for a while. He just was one of those guys that off the cuff can just fill you full of you know 20th century American history. And it was a time in America where there were big changes. And in 1994, they came up with what was called the Contract with America. Now, the Contract with America had a different things. It was fiscal responsibility, um, taking back our streets, personal responsibility, the American dream restoration, national security restoration, common sense legal reform, job creation, Wage Enhancement, Citizen Legislature Act, and others. So it sounds familiar. It sounds like the 21st century stuff we're dealing with. Government and operational reforms was one of the things. Policy changes. Uh, What was interesting about this was they made this promise that if you elect Republicans to the House of Representatives, they will create pieces of legislation that do these things. And for the most part, they kept their word. Newt Gingrich was known very well as, you know, kind of revamping the Republican Party in uh, at that time. And it was a big shift because I believe it was 40 years, the first time in 40 years Republicans had controlled the House. Um, and the reason why I bring this up is McCarthy, Representative McCarthy, is uh, now come out with something called the Commitment to America. He's the House Minority Leader right now, would be possibly Speaker of the House if the Republicans take back the House. He detailed this commitment to America and the agenda. I want you to hear a couple of comments from McCarthy about this this uh, need to do their job. It doesn't matter who's in the executive branch. There is a check and balance, and we need to do our job. So here's the introduction. It's a little bit of the introduction of what the plans would be if the House were to flip and McCarthy were to be um, elected Speaker of the House. This is part of the commitment to America. But Republicans have a plan for a new direction, one that will get our country back on track. It's called the commitment to America, a plan for an economy that's strong, where you can feed your family and fill up your tank. 
a nation that's safe, where communities are protected by the police and criminals are prosecuted. A future that's built on freedom, where your children come first and are taught to dream big. And a government that's accountable, where politicians don't get special treatment. I mean, it sounds so much like 1994. It sounds so much. And I wonder if he talked to Gingrich about this. I I really do. I'd love to have a conversation with Representative McCarthy here on the show and ask him because um, it it is we we always. Here's the thing with us Republicans is we are always living in the good old days. We truly are. Um, I throw back to Reagan constantly. Uh, The governor, our governor, just was visiting um, Reagan's uh, the museum and, and I believe the library. And it's because those seem to be the principles that seem to be a time where Republicans were able to. And I know there was a big difference between the 80s and the 1994, but there is there seems to be there was a time when the principles that I hold true. The reason why I say that I am a Republican, the the principles of that party are something I haven't lost. I try to live by a set of principles. I fail sometimes, and sometimes there's hypocrisy. Sometimes there's things that I say I'm in favor of, and for whatever reason, I'll go against it, and vice versa. But ideology matters more to me than people, and when it comes to politics. You know what I mean? I don't worship a human being. Reagan made mistakes. Uh, I've mentioned on the show many times I had a, a bit of a, a, a relationship. I've got I got to meet on a number of occasions and I went and volunteered on his campaign, George W. Bush. And I really like him as a human being. Um, I liked him as president. I disagree with a lot of things that happened at the end of the presidency. So you have to be able to disagree with people that you align yourself with. And you have to allow disagreement within your party. And we've gotten away from that. We hate each other on, you know, parties between parties. You know, we hate the like, we hate the Democrat ideology. They hate the Republican ideology. That's part of the fight. You disagree ideologically. And I don't mean you hate the individual. You don't like the policy. But within the Republican Party, we eat our own. And um, if you disagree with me, you're out. You know, it's just I've, I've suffered it. I don't care. I'll be honest with you. I don't care because they aren't the. They don't own the Republican Party. They certainly don't own my voter registration. So I don't care what they say or do to me. Uh, I really don't. I've got a microphone. I got a voice every day. I'm going to continue to say what I'm going to say for as long as they pay me to say it. And I don't care what people inside if they don't like me. If I don't get invited to their club meetings. If I don't get invited to their little cliques. I don't care because the ideals of this party are what is important to me. And I think the Democrats. Should be doing the same thing because I think they've gotten away from it just as much. I think that when you talk about the ideals that you stand for and you stick to the ideals instead of the hero worship of the personality, I'm still having arguments online about what I said yesterday in equating to a certain extent that, you know, if you believe that what President Trump said on January 6th motivated people to violence in the Capitol. Then you have to be hit, leave the door open that what President Biden said about January 6th, calling MAGA Republicans semi-fascists and a threat to our democracy that they want to take away and they are a threat to our democracy. And then a guy gets killed in, in South Dakota. And uh, there's no 
There is no proof that this kid, first of all, it doesn't matter, had any connection to some right-wing group or whatever else. I think the guy was just killed by a paranoid guy that had some mental health issues, and unfortunately, this young man lost his life. And this 41-year-old guy that killed him needs to be held accountable, just like the people that committed the acts on January 6th. But if you're going to be hero worship, you're going to be an ideologue, and you're going to defend this, I don't know how you can condemn what Trump said and not condemn what Biden Biden said, I don't. I didn't like the way the president handled himself on January 6th. I thought the people that went into the Capitol building were horrible people and what they did. They shouldn't have gone in. You should never damage and desecrate the United States Capitol. Horrible thing to do. President of the United States got Marines standing behind him, red ominous lights, you know, and this tone, semi-fascism and threat to democracy. What's the difference? The fact that there weren't, weren't a bunch of Democrats that ran in and busted up walls, it was just all of it's bad. So I'm wondering if this contract uh, with America is the new commitment to America or the other way around. Um, I'm anxious to see if it works. Coming up in a moment, uh, we're going to talk about the city of Mesa. They are doing something to attract city employees. I'm going to tell you what it is and whether or not it's a good idea right around the corner. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. And I got to tell you, very first school dance, sixth grade, this was the big song. La Freak. I, I was wearing, I was wearing gray pants with a silk shirt. I'm not kidding, sixth grade. I, I, I wish I still had the picture, man. You would love it. White, white loafers. White slacks and a silver silk shirt. Sixth grade. That reminds me of it. So I love it. There are some of you out there dancing to this song, and there's some of you looking at your parents thinking, what is wrong with you? Um, the city of Mesa. I guess I should get to some serious business. It's a Friday. We just talk about music and uh, and the squeezer out at the state fair. Um uh, Mesa is offering lifetime medical benefits to recruit city workers. Now, I have said and I will continue to say great things about the city of Mesa. I think what they've done with their business development out there should lead the way in many other cities around the valley and around the state of Arizona. I love the idea of intentional growth, their business development team um, and what the Chamber of Commerce has done for Mesa and intentional growth, high end jobs, higher end housing um, really is going to lift the, the public, you know, the, the government coffers in Mesa. I think it is a smart thing that they've done. I think growth is amazing. Intentional growth is the best thing that can be done. But I got to disagree with this and I'm going to explain why in a moment. A perk for new employees in Mesa is that cut, uh, was cut during the Great Recession is making a comeback. Lifetime medical benefits. The benefit does have some stipulations, including years of service. The city manager, Chris Brady, said he wasn't aware of any other city offering similar benefits. If an employee is willing to make a long-term commitment to us, we're going to make that commitment to them longer. Mesa's experienced about a 10% vacancy rate across all departments, according to city spokesperson. Um, here's why I disagree with this for all. Not, I don't think it should be available to all employees. Uh, I'm all in on public safety. I think they deserve it um, for a number of reasons. But I will say when you offer lifetime benefits, you get yourself in trouble. And I'll say, uh, let me explain why. During the Great Recession, when a lot of this stuff was cut, what happened we saw during the big recession, uh, Detroit, Michigan, that zip code uh, was one of the wealthiest zip codes in the country at one time because of the automobile industry. 
when the recession hit and the automobile industry was hammered the way that it was, the city of Detroit was broke. They couldn't police their streets. There were houses that were vacant. They became crack houses and drug, you know, all that kind of stuff. They were leveling houses. They were selling houses for the taxes owed. People could buy these houses. So from a, ta- a city that went from the, one of the wealthiest in the entire country to being that broke and leveling parts of neighborhoods was a lot of it had to do with their lifetime commitment to former city employees. I, I'm, I think your city service is great. There are great benefit packages available to government workers. And whether you like that or not, the idea of lifetime benefits sounds good when you're growing the way Mesa is growing. The problem happens. What happened? This this recession that we have here. What happens if we get hammered with a recession? And someday, you know, your city's plateau at one point, some point, the growth is tough, you know, and when the growth stops and you plateau or you start to lose population or people are losing jobs. You have a commitment to current city workers, but you have a commitment you've made in pensions and medical plans to previous workers that just completely decimate your city budgets. You have to plan for that. Now, what ha- what's happening now in growing and say, hey, this is something necessary because we need the employees, but you're making lifetime commitments to people. So there are going to be people that enter the workforce in the city of Mesa and everybody's short staffed. That's another part part of this. You're going to take people out of the private sector and hire them into the city, which means the businesses in your town are going to suffer losses as well because they can't offer lifetime benefits to people like government can. So as much as I love the city of Mesa, I have to disagree with this because what is a good thing now when they say necessary to get that 10% job vacancy filled, what happens in 20 years when there's another city manager and another team of people running that city and you find out that our, we are now on the hook for lifetime benefits for people that are beginning to retire and we've got current employees that are signed up with the same plan and we have no end in sight with this recession or whatever happens next because we're going to see ups and downs in the economy and some of them are going to be severe in both directions. We're going to see skyrocketing economy like we saw over the last few years or we're going to see a big dump like we saw in the Great Depression or the big recession in 08. It's going to happen. It always does. And I've always said we should learn from the mistakes of other places if we can. And this is one area we should. It's not that you don't want to take care of people. It's not that you don't. It's you are putting the city in a position to be on the hook for a lifetime. You've got benefits for current employees. Then you've got benefits for retired employees. It's hard to keep up with sometimes. And so what seems like a good idea now, I think in the long run, long down the road, isn't. And um, and private businesses can't do this. Most of them can't. That's where the struggle is. You know, you lose some of your best employees sometimes into uh, government workforce because, first of all, the federal government, and this isn't federal, that's this is a city government, but federal government workers almost never get fired. Almost never. So that's why you have the dysfunction you have. Nobody loses their job. But where you lose good people to is your local government, where there is a great pension plan and, and uh, or I guess I should say retirement plan. And they have great medical insurance and time off and sick days and all of these other things that private companies really struggle to fulfill. Unless you are an established, well-established, wealthy company, you can't keep up with government benefits. 
And so now you're going to add one here where someone says, man, I'm let's say I'm 35 years old and now I can work for 20 years. 55 will be fit. Let's say I work till I'm 60, work 25 years for the city of Mesa. And at 60 years old, when I am going to be most in need of, of health care. You know, I'm 55. I, I never went to the doctor when I was young. I mean, never, unless I was injured. It wasn't for illness, injuries. Um, I never went to the doctor. I go to the doctor now. I get more checkups. You know, I've got to go in. I tore my bicep. I've, you know, I've done a lot of different things. So when you get older, you think, man, imagine if I work 25 years for the city of Mesa. I will have full benefits for the rest of my life. You're going to have some people that want to go do that. But the city's on the hook. So uh, unless there's some plan to pay for this that I haven't seen or that I don't see, I don't know how the city can be on the hook for this and not be afraid that when another administration comes in 20, 25 years down the road, that they aren't looking back at, at, at the year 2022 and saying, oh, my gosh, what what have we done? And I will see. We'll see how it works out for them. Uh, how much is the average American family paying for inflation? The number is staggering. We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. It's our theme song here at the Mike Broomhead Show. We are family, aren't we? Yeah, we're all in one big happy family. We're happy it's Friday, so we don't have to see each other till Monday. I think that's what it is. Um, <laughs> thanks for being here. Happy Friday. Um, again, we're going to do this segment, Bad News Over Good Music. Um, the stock market is down... 639 points today. It has fallen below 30,000. It sits right now at 29,437. Remember, we are a one year ago. The one year high was just under 37,000 points. So this has been a pretty dramatic fall. It hasn't been all at once, obviously, but it has been a constant. We have seen the falling index in the Dow Jones uh, down 639 points. And I will tell you, I think that this isn't just... Um, this three quarters of a point that went up yesterday or the day before yesterday, I think that's a part of it. I think this is also about the aggressiveness of which they are going to continue. The Fed indicated that they're going to do this again, probably another three quarters of a point before the end of the year. And then they are going to do another uh, increase in 2023. Now, we don't know that it'll be three quarters of a point, but it is going to go up again. So we are watching this happen, intentionally slowing down the economy. The question for everyone is, and I believe the question for uh, the stock market is, how quick Quickly, do we see people start losing their jobs? When job layoffs happen, this is what they're waiting to see. Because what will happen with the stock market if, and again, I'm, I don't give financial advice. I'm just going based on what my eyes see, is we see the stock market react to something like this. And when good news happens, when they, are, when they believe that we are kind of at the bottom of how bad it's going to get with these increases, you will see a pretty dramatic jump because people will jump back in. And uh, so inflation is costing the average American family $11,500 this year. So that's money that's not in your savings. That's money that's not going towards the things you want to do. That's money going towards the things you need. That's almost $1,000 a month. And I mean this very sincerely. How many of us have $1,000 a month that they can just push away? Now, that's the average. Some are more, some are less. But that's a lot of money to a lot of working families. 
And uh, that's what's what's happening. Um, The Dow futures tumbled this morning, and now what we're seeing during the day is the big tumble with the actual markets itself. I'm going to look at the NASDAQ and the S&P. They're both down significantly, over 2% each. All three markets are down about 2% today. FedEx is raising its shipping rates, so looking forward to the holidays, that's going to be tough. And uh, one of the things I talked about earlier, and this is my problem, and I think this is where the White House is going to pay a very significant price. This is a midterm election, so the president is not up for re-election, but um, I think his party is going to pay heavy prices in November. Um, we talked earlier about the commitment with America or commitment to America that McCarthy is making, saying that if you elect um, House members, Republican House members, if we take over the House, this is what Republicans are going to do in the next two years. This is what this Congress is going to do so that um, – we can get America back on track economically and all of these other areas. It's much like the contract with America that Newt Gingrich came up with in 1994. And uh, there were huge changes, by the way. Both the House and the Senate flipped in 1994 um, and big significant changes in the House. There were a lot of seats in the House. I think there were eight or nine in the Senate that flipped. So it was a rough year for Democrats then in 1994. And is that going to happen now? Indications are maybe not. I mean, there's a, a good chance the Senate could stay in Democrat control, at least that That's what it looks like now. But people do vote with their wallets in the end when they see this happen. And it's the continuation, just my opinion, the continuation of this that has people angry. Um, Yesterday, I talked about the story that they have signed on to a worldwide agreement to reduce fluorocarbons because of climate change, which is going to drive up the cost of appliances. Air conditioning and refrigeration costs are going to go up because of what they have to do to comply with this in the manufacturing of appliances. So you're already spending $11,000. $500 more because of inflation, now that cost is going up. We know that the EPA has new regulations and rules in the fossil fuel industry, so people are going to pay a lot more to heat their homes. Natural gas is going through the roof, so electric costs, electricity, energy costs have gone way up, 7.5% on average for families. What's that going to do in the wintertime? Here in Arizona, we look forward to the wintertime. Our doors and windows are going to be open. My, I don't, I'm not on that, what is that, balance plan or whatever where you pay the same amount every month. Um, I suffer through the summer months with higher electric bills, and then I enjoy almost no electric bills in the uh, in the winter time. And that's really nice to be able to see your energy bills plummet. But we are seeing significant increases in the cost of these bills. Um, so people are hurting right now. And John Kerry even said himself the Inflation Reduction Act has nothing to do with inflation. It was mislabeled that this is a climate change bill. And I think the American people, even people that think climate change is real, I think a lot of them are going to say the timing of this is horrible and the president needs to take his foot off the gas with when it comes to, I guess that was a pun, I didn't mean it to be, that he needs to take his foot off the gas when it comes to climate change and ease for people. And I think he needs to pretty quickly. Um, we're going to talk elections in a moment. Is Mark Kelly a shoe in to win or not? There's questions. We'll ask him.